This has been an extraordinary year filled with too many stresses to count. It's important to your health and to those around you to check in with yourself and others to make sure everyone is okay. This holiday season can be especially stressful, but remember that you don't have to go through any of this alone. There are folks who support you and want to see you okay so that we all come out on the other side of this together. Don't forget that, and don't be afraid to speak up if you need a hand. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And we're just a day or so away from kicking our 2020 calendars into the recycling bin and hanging up our 2021 versions, full of blank pages and a lot of hope. Not much is going to change come January 1. We're still amid a pandemic. Many of our family and friends are hurting emotionally, financially, and maybe physically. But there's hope on the horizon, and maybe your resolutions this year have to do with the spiritual or aspirational to help us all get to spring and better times. I've been thinking a lot about pints and specifically what I missed as I spent time at home this year away from normal beer-related things, and I've really missed draft beer. I've missed settling into favorite tables or stools at familiar bars, scanning a list and ordering something new and exciting or flavorful or just reliable. And over the course of this year, I've talked with a lot of brewery owners and brewers about how COVID-19 has impacted them and changed the brewing industry. But today, I wanted to talk about bars and what the pandemic has meant to them. As I got to writing this introduction, there's this article in the Wall Street Journal that chronicled the plight of bars and restaurants across the country amid restrictions and shutdowns. And there's one quote in particular that stuck out to me. It's from Aaron Gregory Smith. He's the executive director of the United States Bartenders Guild. And he said, quote, this is the worst crisis to hit the industry since prohibition. Like you, I miss travel and I miss going to bars that feel familiar, even if I only visit once or twice a year or every few years. A good feeling and a well-appointed bar is an extension of the publican. And today on the show, I'm honored to be joined by three of the very best in the country. Polly Watts of the Avenue Pub in New Orleans, Michael Roper of Hopleaf in Chicago, and Chris Black of Falling Rock Tap House in Denver. All three are thoughtful, passionate, and knowledgeable, and each have been kicked well down this year, but are doing their best to stick it out. We spoke shortly before Christmas, with Chris in Denver, Michael in Chicago, and Polly in London, where she's visiting her daughter. And I had some questions in mind before we started, but quickly realized that since all three were friends and had a lot on their minds, so I just hit record and let them at it. This is a longer show than usual, but I hope you find it as interesting and as engaging as I did listening to these three. Polly starts off by talking about being overseas and the current state of her bar. Here's their conversation. This is the first year since my dad passed away that I've actually left during December because usually that's a time where where I don't take off because we're, we're, we're busy enough that I need to be there. And uh, I, I want to give my staff that needs, that wants off, off. Uh, so this is the first year I've, in an odd way, the pandemic has actually allowed me to do something that I would not have normally done. Hmm. That, that's interesting, Michael or, or, or Chris. Has, have there been anything similar to what Polly just said that you know, could almost be seen as a silver lining? Well, 
I've, I mean, I've spent uh, even more time with my wife than normal, which is kind of a plus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she still wants to be around me, so that I think that is a very much a plus. I wasn't. I wasn't going to go for the easy joke there. Um, <laughs> so thanks for thanks for picking up your own your own slack. I appreciate that. I've I've done some sort of deep maintenance projects that I would never have time to do and some things that you just don't do period i i um we have two uh walk-in draft beer coolers and um i like took the evaporator um apart and cleaned the the fans and uh you know like it, it was all this funk that kind of <laughs> is inside the box that the evaporator is contained well, and, in. And Michael, didn't I see a picture of you polishing your fan blades the other day? Uh, you, on did, you did. And you, you know, the, the, <laughs> I had like a before and after and one of the fan blades was covered with all this funk and the other one all like shiny, like it just came out of the factory. And I went into that draft cooler and sanitized the entire thing. And, you know, in the corners, you get a little bit of white mold from the beer yeast. Right. <laughs> uh, there is nothing in there now. I mean, I spent, you know, a couple days like doing something that you just would never, how would you ever have time to do that? I mean, and that's just it. We ripped out our entire system and replaced it. Like lines, uh, everything and, uh, um, and scrubbed. And then we, we ripped out a lot of the bar and I had time. So I actually took our antique bar rail, uh, which is probably, uh, late 1800s, original to the building, and I don't think has been polished in just about that long, and had it professionally polished. And people think it's new. But, <laughs> but I just those, those pictures, Polly, were spectacular. <laughs> yeah, they really were. Yeah, I saw those. It's amazing. Uh, but but when would you have the opportunity? You're you're right. When would you have the opportunity to do that? I mean, I think to some extent we're blessed that. Uh, we had enough money to pay for the work or to do it ourselves or to pay for the equipment. Um, but yeah, so that is a, that's a small, small lining and more time with my family. For, for, for all of this though, I'm curious, is it that you do have more time and because I, I'm thinking about brain space, right? There's so much stress that everybody's carrying right now and, and that has right now. Um, it, is it the brain space to sort of say, okay, well, what can I do with this downtime? Or is it also a, a combination of just fewer people in the bar and you get to look at things that might otherwise have been obscured? Oh, well, for me, I mean, I definitely, uh, I've, I've always seen those things. It's just, I've never had the time to be able to do a lot of those kind of things. Uh, uh, that's been a big part of it. Plus, I think I find it very cathartic to rip things apart and get very detailed and get right into that nitty gritty of it and kind of tune out the other stuff for a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, I, I think the whole brain space thing, it's funny because I get these emails from people. Do you want to do delivery service? Do you want to uh, do this, do that to build your business? And I find my mind sometimes just shuts down on those issues. And I also find the, the, the list that my distributors send me of what's available. I, I sometimes I can't look at them. It's too painful. 
In, in what way? I I, because I can't order it. I don't have enough customers, um, even with our limited opening hours, to go through the amount of beer that I would normally go through. So I can't, mm -hmm. I can't order, obviously, the way that I used to. I mean, we used to flow through, you know, 35, 40 taps, uh, and, and we never kept anything on over, over a week and a half, two weeks. Um, as far as one keg goes for freshness, I, I'm down to between five and seven or eight. And sometimes I'm stressed that I might not sell those within what I consider a good freshness window. Um, so when I get these emails uh, with this, you know, fabulous offering or this new saison or um, I, I'm sort of yearning for an English bitter because I'm in London right now and all the pubs are closed. <laughs> So I can't go to a pub here. That's actually uh, very cruel. That's uh, that's like the end of that Twilight Zone episode where the man is left alone with all of his books and his glasses break. It's you're yeah, so close it's, to right. It's exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's yeah. Thing. You know, because before I came, do y'all know Jaime Urado? Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh yeah. Uh, right. Jaime sent me this fabulous list of his friends in the brewing community here and. He was going to set uh, Naomi and I up with, you know, this pub and that pub. And then, of course, everything shut down. And they don't even allow curbside here. I mean, a stay-at-home order is truly, you stay, the only place you can go is to the grocery or the pharmacy. There's no curbside shopping. There's nothing. And uh, so, of course, we can't do any of that. So, I'm, we're in a hotel and I, 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 we just checked in this afternoon um, to a new hotel and uh, we're very lucky to get it. And I need to check their list to see if maybe they have a Timothy Taylor on the menu. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm going to get. That's almost something you should call about in advance. Uh, uh, listen, I was lucky to get a hotel. <laughs> they, have yeah. eight, they have eight available rooms in this hotel. Eight. Oh, wow. And it's the Dorchester, which is a very storied London hotel. Oh, yeah. And they currently have four rooms rented. You have to be... You have to have a reason to be here. In our case, the reason was Naomi's uh, flat was tiny and her radiator wasn't working. <laughs> so, so that makes sense. Yes. Well, you know, I had uh, I had pre-ordered four barrels of Firestone Walker uh, DBA, um, and unfortunately, they arrived just before I closed <laughs> closed the first time or, or closed recently second time so we closed okay. on november 7th i managed you know i managed to sell through one of them and then you know like i felt bad because this is a time sensitive low yeah. alcohol beer and it was super super fresh because they don't usually send it to the chicago market so they brought it in just for me and um you know i felt really bad you know i I brought in this beer and it, it was wonderful. And, and then what am I going to do with it? You know, we're, we're completely closed. What I did again, uh, which is what I did in March is that I appealed on social media to my customers who have kegerators and uh, I sold, uh, I sold 22 barrels of beer, mostly half barrels. Uh, and I sold them at $10 over cost. And That's, that was very clever. And I, I wish that I had done that early on with uh, some, because we had to throw away a lot that, that wouldn't, that didn't survive the wait. 
I wish I had thought of that. We, we, we did that with. I was surprised at how many of my customers have kegerators that can accommodate half barrels. And, and right. um, you know, like, I mean, I sold some pretty expensive stuff. I, and, and not all of it was time sensitive. I, I made sure that I got rid of the, the Pilsners and Lagers and IPAs. Mm -hmm. I also sold, uh, you know, a 13.5 uh, uh, barrel of St. Bernardus App 12 <laughs> to somebody in a, to drink at home. That's a lot of really strong beer to drink at home. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I know early on people were, were, you know, really sort of compensating and going into their cellars. I, I <laughs> that is a lot for a, a, a single household. Yes. Well, and, and you know, the thing. I, I, the reason that I didn't really try to make any money on it is the most important thing was just to move this stuff out and make the customers happy. I, the, the $10 a keg I charged was so uh, I had an employee come in and he dragged the stuff out of the basement up the stairs. So he got 10 bucks a barrel to bring them up the stairs because <laughs> like, I wasn't going to do that. Michael, am I remembering correctly that in the early days of, of the COVID sort of uh, impacting life that you were also selling draft beer um, at, at pretty low prices as well. And people were coming in with all sorts of different containers to, 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 to fill up off of your taps. Yeah. The first, so the, you know, we were a lot less prepared in March. I had 88 full kegs of beer in my cooler and 66 tapped kegs. And um, we did a growler sale um, and, you know, we made, we made some money on it, but it was mostly about getting the beer out, yeah. at least making our money back and providing a few of our staffers uh, an opportunity to make some money. The people who came and bought the growlers tipped extraordinarily generously. And uh, our, um, our staff that worked those events, uh, did very, very well, which probably helped them That's out nice. for weeks and weeks to come. So uh, all that beer that we had uh, in March, um, we sold it all. And we also sold on a pre-order, uh, prepay basis. So they just had to come and pick it up. We sold 4,000 bottles of beer from our bottled, um, you know, stash. And, um, you know, in March and April, that really helped us out. This time around, I didn't have nearly as much. Um, I was very cautious about buying and I really didn't have much in the way of bottle product. I'm not worried about it. And I had a lot less draft that I was worrying about because we were very cautious and the breweries had less draft beer to sell us. They, they're terrified to put anything in a keg right now. Yeah. Chris, uh, two days before we recorded this, um, and this will go up about a week later, uh, you, you're doing something similar now with Falling Rock Tap House, and uh, you're opening up your cellar and your uh, your your book and 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 trying to to get some bottles into the hands of people to keep the coffers uh, a, a little bit full. Um, can can you sort of like walk through what that process in your own mind was like to get to that point? Yeah, I mean, we've been thinking about it. I mean, after reading, you know, uh, seeing Michael's posts about it earlier in the spring, uh, my assistant Beth and I have been 
kind of getting things ready for it because I mean it's a lot of different bottles and and it's a lot of crawling down into the sorry sub basement <laughs> and uh, which is only about um, maybe five foot six inches tall. So some people might not have a hard time down there, but me at six two, it is kind of an awkward position to be in. Um, but we started getting this stuff ready, and it, uh, we started to really accelerate it in November when we went from, you know, being able to do 25% indoor service. And, you know, Denver in, in October can be kind of sketchy on the weather, but we had a really beautiful October. And so all of our doors were open, and, and you know, we had the air going, and um we started to really think about, hey, we really need to access this money that we've stuck away years and years and years ago, some of it up to 23 years ago. Um, and we started uh, trying to figure out how to incorporate that on our website so that it could be a pre-order, pre-pay, so people just have to swing by and get it. So um, we worked with our website company, and they put in the little plugins, and, and then we had to enter all that information into it. So we've been doing that solid for three weeks now. And so yesterday at seven o'clock in the evening, I turned it all. I told people about it. Now we had the the inventory was already live, and some of our regulars had noticed it, so they had already ordered. Oh gosh, about. Thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars worth of beer over the previous week, just kind of uh, as they were looking at at our, our food offerings every weekend. And so I put out the post last night, and within three hours, had somewhere around five thousand views. And uh, gosh, we had about forty orders as of this morning. We have seventy nine orders, and um, yeah. For, for a reasonable chunk of change. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, my, my wife was, uh, she saw some of the things that were going out, like all the Thomas Hardys, and, and and she dearly loves those. And I go, yeah, pretty much all the Thomas Hardys are gone now. Because yeah. I had them going back to 94. Wow. Uh, and, yeah. And, so, uh, you know, and the prices on them were actually, you know, pretty, they were pretty much what I had marked things down to couple of years ago, I had, you know, cut my margins on a lot of my bottle product because it just wasn't moving. I mean, for years and years, you know, I could put 20 or 30 cases down there and 20 or 30 cases would come out of the cellar every year. But about five, six years ago, man, that just came to a screeching halt. Me too. That's so, interesting that you yeah. say that because I thought, I thought that was just our experience, but um, it clearly wasn't because that's, that's, that's what happened to us as well. I'd say I'd yeah, say top, top. Years ago, 35% of my sales were bottled beer and we carried over 400 different beers in bottles. And uh, I've been cutting back and kind of calling the herd for a while because the sales haven't been great. But uh, last, uh, you know, when we closed in, uh, uh, in March, we had about 260 brands still in our uh, stock. And uh, I think that, you know, when this all ends, I'm never gonna carry that many beers and bottles again. I was gonna uh, ask, yeah. Neither will I. I'm, I'm gonna go- Neither will I. I have gone through my list and figured out about 110 beers that I want to carry in bottles. And that's it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, I had we, very similar numbers. Yeah. We had we 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 had similar numbers as well, and I haven't been uh, collecting as long as you two have. But uh, to, <laughs> so in September of last year, I placed I, I placed a giant order for Dre Fontina, um, and it was some very special beers that had not been into the United States before, and it was supposed to come in, and we were supposed to have the equivalent of Swansea Day sometime in the spring. It was supposed to come in right after Mardi Gras. So the beer arrived, I want to say, in the States in April, but because of uh, the pandemic, it couldn't be shipped. But but we got it during the shut during the full shutdown, during the stay at yeah. home. And it was ten thousand dollars worth of Drefontina. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. I think every everybody who's on this call and everybody who's listening, their heart just stopped for half a second there. Yes. Yeah. So it was it was ten thousand dollars, and I, you know, of course, when we're blowing and going, that's not a big deal. But when we're literally shut down and and we don't know when we're going to be allowed to reopen, and the distributor calls me says your your Drefontina is here, and I said what's the total? Because I knew it was going to be around that, <laughs> and uh, and he said that, and he said um, when can we deliver it? <laughs> and I said. Uh, uh, tomorrow. And so that is, curiously enough, my idle loan had just come through. And I took $10,000 out of my idle to write a check for that. I, I, I'm not quite sure what idle is. I'm sorry. Economic injury disaster loan. Oh, okay. Sorry. EIDL. I'm sorry. Right. EIDL. I, I was oh. thinking like American singing competitions. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, I would not win any competitions. That <laughs> I mean, I, I have, I also got in on some of that dry fountain and, and, uh, however, I will say that I'm, I'm not worried about that. I didn't make a push to sell any of that product. So the special like Lambics, I'm not worried about, they keep forever. Um, I know I'll sell them. Oh, me too. Uh, it's just writing a check for that. And the very hard to write a check for it when you're closed. <laughs> yes. So what we ended up doing, interestingly enough, uh, with it was, um, you know, obviously Zwanzi Day is something we normally do. That didn't happen. I sold through my Zwanzi stash with Jean's approval to pay our health insurance for our staff in August, um, including some very special bottles of Soleil de Menu. Uh, That's Jean from Cantillon. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm just here now to provide context. It's clear okay. that you all don't need me here for this conversation, <laughs> which is amazing. So I'm just going to jump in with context now and again, just for, for the listeners. And then I'm going to back back out. So when we have this refunding and of course it's, it's sitting in my cellar and, and I, I'm, I'm collecting interest on the loan <laughs> that I bought that I used to pay it. And what we were able to do, because we were able to reopen, um, we changed our licensing from a bar to a restaurant, which allowed us to open um, a little bit in advance of other places. And since we're conducting everything like a restaurant now, um, uh, for safety purposes, uh, it works. So we're doing some very, we limit the tastings uh, to 12 people. It's 12 people on the entire second floor of the bar. They're wow. so out, yes. That's it. And we won't do more than 12. Um, Everybody gets six feet plus because I've, I've been up there. That's, that's yeah. yeah. And um, they prepay, which is something that we weren't used to doing either. 
and uh, and we run through a flight with with food pairings with it. And you know, I think that Michael and Chris probably have the same feelings. You know, we're so fortunate to have the customer base that we do. People who who truly love the product that we that we work so hard to serve and truly appreciate what we do. So when I put that online, um, we've done two so far uh, and we still haven't paid for the product yet. We're not, you know, I'm going to do a happy dance when we get to 10 grand because <laughs> I'll know the beer is paid for. <laughs> but, but, uh, God, but, I know that feeling. Oh, absolutely. Um, but but it, it gave us, you know, you talked about the mental energy to do stuff. And we first started planning this tasting. I almost didn't have the mental energy to do it because it's just such a slog to get through the day. And, um, but when we did that and we had the people, we had the 12 people come in and they're all socially distanced and they had just a marvelous time. I have to tell you that it was so heartening and made me feel uh, <clears throat> so appreciative of the chance that we had to buy the beer, but then also the customer base that appreciates it. I, 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 I'm, I want to talk about customers for, for a minute and the, the, the customer base, because I asked you three on the show because you do have very distinct bars and you have been leading the uh, charge for serving better beer uh, in, in, in your own respective areas for, for, for quite some time and have been great advocates of the, uh, of, of the beer industry. And I'm curious, Michael and Chris, when you've now put some of your inventory online and, and sold it out there, are these your regular customers with the kegerators that are buying stuff? Are there new people who have discovered you? Are these beer collectors or people who you think are trying to flip it? Or are they just like altruistic people who really just want to see you succeed in the long term or a blend of all of that? I know that's sort of a convoluted question, but. Well, most of my people are, were definitely regulars. And I doubt that anybody uh, flipped any of the beer that they bought from us, no matter how rare it was. Okay. Um, I, I think that people, um, I'll, I'll bet almost all of those bottles that I've sold when I did the bottle sale, I'll bet there aren't any of them left now. <laughs> They've all been drilled. And, um, you know, because, and the, the kegs, you know, we get the empties back. Um, we charge a deposit on them. And so, you know, um, I have had a chance to be in contact with all those people again when they brought the empties back and got their deposit. And, you know, I always ask them, you know, how'd you like it and everything? Said, oh, my God, I loved it. We had a great, you know, this great experience having this beer that we would never have on draft in our homes. Um, but almost all of them said, but we can't wait to come back to Hopleaf and drink these beers here. Yeah. Um, one of the a, a real example of how um, generous and loyal our customers have been is that um, we have sold several uh, gift cards, Hopleaf gift cards for a thousand dollars. Now okay. somebody's going to, they're, they're, they're investing a thousand dollars into a place that, you know, at this point, there's no guarantee that we'll be there for them to, um, you know, to, to use that. I mean, there's a very good chance they never intend to use it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've oh, had yeah. people do that. And uh, I have one customer who finally um, 
figured out, I, I don't, I think I gave him my Venmo because I was, I'm doing, I was doing some, we did a lot of charity work for New Orleans EMS and I was collecting money to help pay for that, those charity meals. And I gave him my Venmo um, because he wanted to donate to that cause. And, and he regularly Venmos me money and he's in DC. And I'm like, Tony, you got to stop, you gotta stop this. <laughs> Really. And of course, I, you know, I end up tipping out the staff with it. Um, and then he managed to get the, the, the Venmo of some of my staff members and he just sends the money. And so I told him to stop. And it's funny because just a couple of nights ago, found a workaround. Yeah. Right. He, um, he saw something on my Facebook page that I was trying to coordinate for New Orleans EMS. And he says, I want to donate to that. I'm going to send you the Venmo. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> you need to send it to the foundation. Here's their address. Um, but, but I, to, to Michael's point, I mean, these are people who, who I think feel uh, an emotional attachment to what we do and to the people behind the bar, so to speak, uh, and want really, really want to see us survive. Chris, what about you? Yeah, though? Had, what are you seeing at this point? I mean, I've had, oh God, I can't even tell you how much, yeah, probably about $5,000 worth of gift cards bought. And I had, I had one customer who's been coming here forever who bought like, oh, I don't know, probably two, three hundred dollars worth of gift of uh, gift certificates and, you know, showed up to, to uh, pick them up. And he he took the gift certificates from me and then walked over to the trash can and ripped them up and threw them in the trash can. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And we had a, we had a, we had a customer in San Diego. Uh, he comes into Chicago once a month on business and he always comes to Hopleaf. But he lives in San Diego. And he when we had our first uh, keg sale, he bought a barrel of uh, Hopperings uh, Hamel beer. And I said, well, um, you're in San Diego. <laughs> how am I going to get this keg to San Diego? He goes, I, don't I just sell it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, our big week is Great American Beer Festival. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, 10% of our annual sales in six days. And, uh, you know, everybody comes here and, you know, I just, you know, the thought of not having something was just really, really, uh, you know, weighing on, you know, our staff and everybody. From like a and happiness so standpoint, right? Just, just, just a, a, a sense of being, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I started thinking about it. My, my assistant and I started thinking about it. She kind of she kind of came up with the basic idea of what if we did a seated beer festival where you know you could have your own table whether it be for one or two or four people you know whatever your pot is and um, what if we brought the beers to them and we curated the beer festival to them? Oh my God, Chris! And tell so me we, that it was one ounce pours in plastic glasses. It was still plastic glasses, but it was two ounces porous because I wanted to be twice as good as the beer festival. And <laughs> so many farts, and, uh, so many pretzel necklaces. Oh, God. But so, 
and but the, the biggest problem was, you know, as we were moving in towards September and we didn't know what what the rules were going to be about, you know, it just, you know, two or three weeks in advance. And so we had to kind of keep things under wraps. I, I talked with quite a few breweries. We lined up what beers we were going to do. I pulled out a lot of stuff from my keg cellar where there's far too much beer in there. Um, and so I pulled, we decided we would have 30 two ounce cores and it would be done as six flights of five beers. And, you know, we had a nice little placemat with the little circles and the numbers on it. So everybody could keep everything straight and we would do it that way. And, uh, but you know, that then it becomes the logistics of how do I then, uh, get those beers all in the correct order where everybody knows which beer it is. Cause they're all going to look alike. Uh, and so I had to make uh, a bunch of sample paddles cause I don't really have any money. So I made 220 sample paddles, uh, out of $90 a sheet, uh, plywood. Wow. And it, we, like, I think between, uh, Beth and myself, we spent about a hundred hours on it, That's but impressive. they're spectacular. So cool. And uh, I spent probably five minutes uh, explaining how this would work to my staff. And they were like, it, it was like 100% buy-in in five minutes. And they were so pumped up about it. Uh, on the Friday, we did four sessions so that between two sessions, we could get rid of a five gallon keg of beer, like come pretty close to it if we sold out the event. Uh, and on our Friday session, we had 80, 85, 92 people, I think it was, spread out between outside, inside, and downstairs. So, uh, and the the feedback from the customers was unbelievable because all these people you know they we actually had people fly in for it i mean they had already bought their tickets to come to gabf anyway and they couldn't get their money back so they decided hey let's come let's do this thing we they had a, a level of trust that we would be doing things according to all the regulations and and it we we were very adamant with people about you know having their masks on and and staying seated and we had you know we brought in porta potties so the people outside used the outside porta potties and the people upstairs used the upstairs restroom all that kind of stuff and the feedback we got from the customers about you know how they felt being where they were uh and how it went and how the staff behaved and how the other customers behaved because everybody you know uh even though a lot of these people have known each other for 20 plus years, it's like, you can't go talk to the other tables. You can say hello from where you are, but (laughs) you can't go over to the other tables. And people were very good about that and, and took it very seriously. And it, you know, financially it was, it was nice. It brought in a little bit of extra cash. Uh, But uh, just, just that feeling of, of actually doing a, a, a thing that, approximates some normalcy right now uh, was a huge plus. We're in the, you know, we're in the hospitality business and it's really hard, you know, for us to not 
be hospitable, to not be serving people. Uh, I've been serving people for over 45 years, and this is the longest period where, you know, it's driving me nuts to not serve people, to not meet new people, to not introduce people to new things that will make them happy. And, uh, you know, if you, like, like Chris, you know, trying to think of an event that can at least allow you some semblance of that. It's, it's very therapeutic for us. Early on, and then Chris, you just sort of mentioned it as well, of this following the rules as well. And you all have built your bar reputations off of, you know, being good stewards of the community, not just in beer, but also in, in, in business and uh, members of your own neighborhood, um, as it were. And we've seen terrible examples that pop up on the internet of bars that have been flouting the rules. And then, uh, Chris, I saw a post from you a, a couple of weeks ago where uh, a customer went to one of your bartenders and complained uh, about the guy working the door who was pretty strict with the mask mandate. And it turns out that it was you working the door at the time, which, you know, I found pretty funny, but it also just sort of shows, you know, how difficult it is to be a, a, a business owner, a bar owner, wanting to survive, but then also sort of following these rules that are changing on a daily basis and being amenable to them all along. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've had uh, I've had quite a few Yelp reviews complaining about the doorman that I was kind of surly and and rude to their wives. And uh, yeah, I mean, I left that review yeah. back in 2016, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and of course it's me because I've been the doorman yeah. for this entire time. So I am the lifeguard basically sitting there watching everybody, reminding people to put their mask on before you stand up and before you start walking across the floor to the bathroom. And we've actually, the, the interesting part is, you know, we have the health department and have been uh, doing inspections all over town and everything like that. And so far, they actually haven't entered my place because they've walked up to the front and while they were waiting for me to take care of a customer, take him in, they've heard me give the speech that I have given, you know, 10,000 times, you know, over the, the past few What's months. What's the speech? What's the speech? Oh, I'm not going to go through it. It's just so I haven't had to do it in three weeks. So I'm, I've tried to block it out of my mind. But basically, just telling people, hey, you have to, this is how you have to do things. You have to wear your mask and where the bathroom is and, you know, how to get to it, all this kind of stuff. And they, the health department people, I've seen with their clipboards, just sitting there checking boxes, looking at me, giving me a big thumbs off and walking off. Because, you know, it's, I, I tell, the people every single time and then when they don't do it I'm like we, we told you this at the beginning Polly, you know in, in in your city though where you know the whole motto is let the good times roll yeah. how, how hard is it to abide by this well so so they're the, first of all i'm a rule follower which is kind of funny being a bar owner <laughs> and being a rule follower uh um, but, but, so I follow the rules, but, but I think what you're hearing out of Chris and, and Michael, as well as I, is that, is that we, in, in many cases go beyond what we're required. We do what we think is safe. And, um, 
I would I would say it's funny listening to Michael talk and um, Chris talk too. One of the sort of painful things about COVID is dreading certain customers that you used to love, knowing that they're going to come in the door and not be able to behave themselves, and you're going to be in the position where you have to fuss at them to get them to to put their mask back on oh. or. Or and and that has been one of the more painful things. Not not the random person because the there are we still get tourists that that truly have no clue what's going on. Um, and very early on, we stopped giving out masks. I mean, I think I gave out masks for the first week, and after that, I didn't because expensive. No, that's not why. I didn't because if you were so clueless that you were walking into a place without your own mask, then you were exactly the kind of person that's not going to follow the rules once you're inside. Love it. And I didn't. Yeah. Amen. And I I didn't want to, I didn't want my staff to have to fight that. So if you, if you know, it's one thing if somebody, I mean, we actually do have masks if somebody's breaks, you know, we give them one. But, but a lot of bars were handing them out early on. And we found that the customer that doesn't walk in with one is the customer that is not going to. It's funny because there's some people that will do exactly what they need to do to get to the table. And then once they get to the table, it's, oh, yeah, it's, all, yeah, it's, all, it's all gone. And of course, you're in this situation where you feel like you have to ask somebody to leave. Thankfully, those incidents are, are becoming less and less and less. So many more people are with the program now. Uh, more people are with the program now than they used to be that we're not having that, that issue uh, the way we used to. And we've also, I don't know if you know this, John, but I think Chris and Michael know, we invested a massive amount of money redoing our HVAC system to, yeah. a, to a, um, uh, a filter, a filtering process that helps kill all the bacteria. So we've spent an enormous amount of money to keep our staff safe and our customer base safe. Um, and we want, we want customers that appreciate that. And for the most part, for the most part, they do. I, I have to say our, our uh, you know, the, we had so few incidents of people not cooperating. It's almost not even worth mentioning them. And the ones that we had trouble with were not our regulars. Uh, and who they tended to be was people from uh, other counties or municipalities or from across the border in Indiana or across the border in Wisconsin who are living in a place where there are no rules. Right. And, you know, this is the problem we have across the country is that the virus doesn't respect borders, but, um, you know, we... In, in Chicago are very close to Indiana and very close to Wisconsin who have much, much less um, uh, regulations. Uh, and then even within the state of Illinois, um, there are counties and municipalities who uh, are allowing bars and restaurants to be open as if COVID-19 doesn't exist. And now Michael, you're... you're the, the government, I mean, Chicago has completely shut down all indoor dining now where you yes. are. Uh, Illinois is, there's no indoor dining in Illinois right now. Oh, that's the entire state. That's not just the Chicago. Entire state, except that, you know, it, 
in less than an hour, I can be in Indiana or Wisconsin. And yeah. the rules right. are completely different there. Are you seeing that people are getting in their car, going out for a Friday night meal by leaving the state borders and then coming back? Absolutely. That's a nightmare. That, yeah. And that's why, because we never had one message for the entire nation, we never made it, like we never tried to make being careful a patriotic thing. Um, instead, you know, it, we, we used it as a COVID-19 as a way to further divide us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so people come in, you know, the, the few people that we had trouble with would say, well, I just drove in from Oak Brook or I just drove in from, you know, Hammond, Indiana, and we can do, you know, all the bars are open there. Why aren't yours? Or like, I can sit at a bar stool next to somebody there, but I can't do it here. And, you know, I say, absolutely, you can't do it here. Um, or, you know, people in, within our community, within our neighborhood and within Chicago, people are overwhelmingly obeying the, you know, the suggestions of health professionals. But unfortunately, um, you know, not that far away, there is some place where people can walk into a bar and sit at a bar stool in a crowded room where hardly anybody's wearing masks. Uh, and some people find that, you know, is that should be the way it is. I want to thank you for reminding yeah. me that Hammond, Indiana exists. Uh, I covered a serial killer there in my young reporting days at the Indy Star. So uh, thanks for thanks for bringing back that flood of memories. I, I, I'm curious, though, and I want to I, if we have time, I, I, I want to sort of get get down into, you know, sort of, you know, patri patriotism and, and, and going forward. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious of and Michael, I know your doors are closed right now, but I haven't been in a bar. Uh, since March. And I haven't, you know, been to any of the places that I want to go because I'm trying to to be safe. And I'm, you know, we're trying to support local as best we can in our household. Um, what is what is it like inside of your bars these days? Because because it's not business as usual. It, it, you have all created these wonderful ecosystems that are very much uh, driven by your personality, driven by your ethos, driven by the areas that you're in, all under the the, the umbrella of great beer. What what is it like in December or November before your shutdown, Michael? Versus what it was like in you know this time last year. I mean, you know, I, early on in March when we were closed, I I took some photographs of the inside of our place at night with nobody in there. And I put it on our website and put it on social media. And it's like, God, I, you know, this place is so beautiful <laughs> and it's so sad uh, to, you know, I, I'm there every day. Um, I, I spend six to eight hours at Hopleaf every single day, even though we're closed. Uh, if I have to be working on my computer, if I have to, you know, I gotta do some cleanup projects and just to keep an eye on the physical plant you, I need to be there. Yeah. And it's, it's so quiet. It's so, you know, there, there's no laughing people. There's no sounds of, you know, clinking glasses and laughing and, you know, it's all those things. It's, 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 it's actually otherworldly uh, how, uh, how different it is. And, and, you know, I, you know, yeah, we, I built this great environment um, for, 
people to have a good time in and there's no people. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. And, and you know, I, I started working in bars in 1972. And so this is a very big change for me personally. And it goes beyond the fact that um, people aren't coming to my bar. I'm a bar customer. I like going to other people's bars too. I yeah. like going out to eat. I like going to see live music. I'm not doing any of that stuff myself either. You know, it's killing me on both ends. I, I'm, I can't be a customer and I can't be a server. Chris or Polly? Yeah. I would say that's- It, it that's, is. Yeah, I'm go sorry, ahead. Chris, go. Well, no, go ahead, Chris. No, 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 no go ahead, Polly. Go Everybody first. is so polite here. <laughs> Polly and then Chris. Um, I would say- that it's very similar for us, you know, a big part of our, of our clientele base uh, prior to the pandemic was service industry. Um, we were kind of the bar, uh, one of the many bars, but, but specifically a big bar for um, restaurants and bartenders and other parts of the city hospitality to come and gather in because at the time we were open 24 hours. And so they got off, you know, they got out of the kitchen at 1130 or 12, they could come in and have a few drinks before they, before they went out, um, before they went home. And then we were customers of those bars. I mean, as, as you all know, uh, bar employees tend to be fine, really good fine dining employee uh, customers as well. I mean, we mm -hmm. really enjoyed what our city had to offer. We, we have an 11 o'clock curfew in New Orleans for alcohol sales now. So that means that 11 o'clock, nobody can sell alcohol. So even the people who are working um, that we would normally get after work, they, they can't come in. They can't go anywhere else either. They just have to go home oh. because at 11 o'clock, everybody has to close. Now you talk about bizarre for New Orleans. <laughs> The idea that that everybody would cease selling like, out. I, I can't. I can't even wrap my head around that. No, the, the, even the idea of a last call for me was very, very strange. Because <laughs> 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 that just didn't exist. And the only reason, you know, it's funny, I, I, and I think I've told this story a number of times. When we went to Europe a couple of years ago, um, when we took our staff to Europe, you know, we had to have locks installed on the doors because we were 24 hours, we never closed. We didn't need locks. So, so this time around when the shutdown came, Eileen and I, my GM, look at, I, look at each other and go, oh my God, where are the keys to the locks? And you know, the last time we used them was when we all went to Sweden and, and we couldn't find them. We had to have the locks rekeyed in order to shut down. Uh, because, <laughs> Right. I mean, we have hurricane shutters that we normally close for, for hurricanes, and that's easy. But we didn't actually have, we, we couldn't find the keys to the door because it had been two or three years since we'd had to lock anything. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Chris, what's it like inside of your place oh. these days? Uh, it's, it's pretty quiet. Uh, during the initial shutdown in March, we boarded up the windows, and that was massively depressing because you'd be inside and you couldn't see the daylight and so when we were allowed to reopen in june we we took down the boards and uh, it was that was a good feeling 
But, uh, you know, in the middle of summer, we started having some problems with some uh, other bad actors in the neighborhood. And some of uh, those people have uh, made it very uh, much on the Internet. Uh, and uh, one of them's notorious is like the, the worst episode of Bar Rescue because he got into a fist fight with the uh, host. And uh, there were like lines of hundreds of people outside of this pool hall with hundreds of people inside when you were allowed a maximum of 50. Oh and so the state, yeah, it was, it was, it was worse than anything you could ever think of. It was, it was horrible. And so the state came in and slapped an 11 o'clock curfew, which at first I was very supportive of and like, Hey, this will calm down some of the stuff. We were already closing at 11 because I didn't want our staff or myself to be around it because the people just were not, they were acting as if nothing was going on and it was primarily a younger crowd, but I was seeing plenty of people in that say that same age court cohort coming through my bar. Uh, but they were all coming in earlier on and you didn't have to tell them to put the mask on and you didn't have to tell them what they were supposed to do. They got it. They understood yeah. it. It wasn't just younger people. It was a, a subset of younger people uh, that were causing problems. And when we shut down the bars early, all we did was we told them not to go out to bars to some sort of controlled environment. We told them to go to each other's houses. And it ju it's just been, you know, and the same thing's happened all over the country. And yeah. it's been really tough. But inside my bar, you know, primarily it's, it's so quiet. I mean, I hear every, the tiniest sounds all over the place. So I, I tend to kind of, uh, crank up the music in my place. Uh, I have a, an incredible sound system in here that's got something like, oh God, like 6,500 watts of sound for my place, which is only about 5,500 square feet, um, uh, with some really good speakers and uh, really good equipment. So I tend to play, I'm the only one in here, so I'm just blasting music like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because it's either that or I have to listen to every tiny click and sound in the whole building and it's depressing there, there, there are two things that i want to get to to all of you with um the the first is obviously you know ways that people can uh, not only support your bars but i think independently owned restaurants and, and and bars as well and that's you know ordering directly from you going directly to your website not necessarily using a third party um, or actually picking up the phone and, and, and calling and, and, and placing orders. Um, Polly, you mentioned early on all these emails that you're getting from, from vendors who are trying to you know, help you stay in business and, and, and help you make money. Um, but it, it really just does come down to a customer proprietor relationship at this point, right? To put the most amount of money in your all's pockets to help you stay afloat. Yeah, I would say one of the nicest things that a customer can do that comes in and wants to know what would help the most, I tell them, order something off my seller list. Because yeah. that's something that I paid for a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. So, and it's mm -hmm. not something that I have to immediately go out and replace. So when you order the IPA um, and I go through a case of IPA, I have to reorder that IPA the next week. Um, and I, I, this is not something that we've talked about, but but I do hope that that um, 
I did want to mention, I'm, I'm very worried about the sort of classic legend Belgian beers um, and European beers. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to get, uh, they're going to completely disappear in the United States as a result. It, it, I mean, is this part of Shelton Brothers as well? And they're being dissolved earlier this year? Uh, cer- certainly part of that, but I don't mean just that. I mean, Orval, I mean, Rochefort, I mean, sure. a lot of them. Um, I, I, I'm very concerned that, that, and one of the things that I, that I, what is that born from your concern? Well, I think you, first of all, the, 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 the hazy IPA craze <laughs> and, and the pastry stout craze. Oh, it's not even a craze like that. That's a, that's a yeah. pretty. Yeah. And the whole hard seltzer yeah. it was already sort of difficult to sell those beers and um, getting people to order those classic beers on the menu, you have to physically push them. And I'm worried that without um, uh, retailers like Michael and me and Chris, you know, sort of doing that on a regular basis that the, that the imports will just plummet and that we won't have access to those in the future. That's just an aside. I'm sorry. I got off on a tangent, uh, but it does worry me. No, that, that, that makes sense. Michael, what about you though? In, in, in the way that, you know, I, I, I know the ease of the internet has made it, you know, Grubhub and some of these other apps, easy for people to use, but it also, while it fuels their company, takes a couple of bucks out of, you know, all of yours. Is, is there, is there something that consumers can do? Well, right now, I mean, now we are, we are hibernating. We've, we've turned our coolers off. We are, we, we, we have um, uh, basically mothballed hop leaf. I mean, we're not uh, in order to survive the, uh, the winter, I'm, I uh, suspended my liquor liability insurance, my general liability insurance, my workman's comp insurance, um, uh, all of my leased equipment. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm closed, you know, <laughs> like we're, there's not much, yes, we can sell gift certificates. I can sell my hop leaf branded glassware and we're doing a little bit of that. Oh, everybody um, should have hop leaf branded glassware. Yes. So, you know, um, basically what I'm telling people who really want to help us now, who maybe already have five gift uh, certificates, is uh, I want to see them in April. <laughs> I, I want them, you know, like, don't forget about us. Yeah. Um, I, I, I need them to support us when we reopen like they never have before, because we're so far behind on everything. You know, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of bars and restaurants that are going to go out of business in like next August or next September because they couldn't catch up from, you know, they had to borrow money to stay uh, viable. And then all these debts come, come due. So I, I want people to realize that when we do reopen, Things won't be exactly the same, and maybe we won't have as much a, a depth of product. But bear with us and understand. I, I do want to add to what Polly says that I am yeah. also concerned about these import beers going away. This was already happening. A lot of them, you know, because of the locavore movement, you know half of my customers don't drink anything that's brewed more than 50 miles away from where they live anymore. 
Uh, and that makes it really hard to sell, uh, you know, Pop Rings Hamel beer and Saison DuPont and uh, Rochefort. And we really don't want those beers to go away. So, you know, we're gonna have to work twice as hard to keep them coming uh, when the pandemic is over. Um, fortunately, some of these breweries are still selling their beer in retail stores, but it's never going to be the same no. as it was selling them, you know, in our pubs. Well, I mean, from a drinker's perspective, it's just a different experience. There's something nice about going to a bar and ordering something, you know, like those beers that you've mentioned, uh, both of you, and and having them in a shared experience with people as opposed to sitting at my basement bar and, and, and doing it by myself. Um Absolutely. Chris, what about you though? How how how, well, how can people best help? You know, uh, like Polly said, uh, you know, our vintage list is up on there, and that's you know, a bank account that we, you know, loaded up years ago. And uh, you know, it's not product that I have to replace immediately. Um, you know, coming on a regular basis, we've been doing uh, one of our Bartenders is a phenomenal cook and and makes seriously the best barbecue in the state of Colorado, which admittedly is not the highest hurdle. Uh, you know, coming from <laughs> I was Texas say, originally. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's like two places in the in the state that I consider to be acceptable, and then uh, uh, my bartender Fouche, and uh, he's been making barbecue for our anniversary party for oh, you know, fifteen years. Uh, so he's been coming up with specials for Saturdays, and, and that's been nice because it, it allows him to earn some money, and it gives an excuse for people to come here. And, and most of it is they're coming by to pick up and leave because we're only allowed outdoor dining right now. And uh, Denver in December, you know, is not really patio season so much most of the time. Uh, it, it, at least, it, at least I'm not in Chicago, so you know, yeah. <laughs> I've got that going for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've had some nice 60 degree days. So, you know, we've had a few people sit on the patio, but people are coming by and they're also ordering some crawlers of beer to go. So I can keep turning over some beers. I have still have way too many beers on draft. And, uh, I mean, next week if there's, there's about a whole bunch going to go away because they've just timed out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've been working really hard on keeping our lists, uh, small as we can. Um, you know, I, I worry too about, you know, the, the drinking habits of, of people. I mean, thanks to, you know, the, the locavore movement and the, the worst thing, uh, is, has been the ticking culture. I mean, um, I had one, uh, you know, gentleman who writes about beer, who's a little bit older than I am say, you know, Hey Chris, you know, sampling has always been a part of, of the industry. And I said, you know, yes, but it's changed. Because yeah. it used to be you were looking for, you were trying all these beers because you were looking for, you know, beers that if you saw them again on tap or in a bottle, you, that was something that you knew that you liked and you could have again. And right. unfortunately, the yeah. culture has completely switched to once you've had it and you've checked it off on your little list. You don't want you, it anymore. You, right. you, no, you don't, you're never going to have that again. And, and that, that completely screws up the ecosystem of the craft of craft beer and the craft beer movement. And, and it, it has just been so detrimental. And I mean, fortunately, 
I mean, we have our regulars that, uh, you know, we're all in their 30s and 40s and 50s when we opened up 23 years ago. And, of course, now that makes them in a much more vulnerable population. So they tend not to go out as much right now, especially during COVID. And uh, so that's one negative for us. But those people are ordering those beers and, and coming by and taking them to go. And, and that's been, you know, really heartening. And, you know, the other thing about the locavore movement is I'm sure you, you have, you know, Michael and, and Polly both have bars in the area that, oh, we only sell things, you know, from the state you're in, the city you're in, whatever your region and everything like that. And, you know, I've always kind of, you know, thought that having that exposure to the entire world of beer as being a huge positive, and it also keeps the brewers in your area more up to date and more understanding, you know, kind of how the whole thing's working and what other people are doing in other places. I mean, imagine if we didn't have those classic English ales or those Belgian beers or, or things like that, or those German uh, lagers, you know, 40 years ago when we were all just embarking on this kind of, uh, you know, exploration, you know, what, what would we have to, to base our things off so that we could take them further like we as Americans tend to do? And, you know, I've always likened, you know, just exclusively having things from only your old own area kind of, you know, I'm sorry, it's a little indelicate, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a circle jerk. Um, and it kind of, Leave it you know, to the one guy of the worst... from Texas through Colorado. So, yeah. <laughs> but, no, but I mean, is, really, I mean... Yeah, Chris is right, because I mean, especially with some of these Belgian styles, the chances that you're going to have a brewer in your state or much less city that can brew a, a, a saison as good as Belogie or Aubaron, I mean, that do they exist in the United States? Yes, but they're not in every city. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you all have opened up about like you know 90 different paths of conversation of which uh, I'm realizing uh, our, our time is growing short together. I, right now, the, the, the big question I think is stimulus for uh, a, a lot of Americans and, and people who are worried about uh, what the next couple of weeks bring. Um, often left out of these conversations is the hospitality industry at this point. It, it, is there some sort of relief that can actually help do you think? And if so, where should it be coming from? That's, I mean, a, that's, jump a, ball. that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the last thing I or probably anybody else needs is more debt service. Right. You know, basically our industry was effectively regulated out of have a business. And uh, I mean, I'm doing, gosh, right now, maybe 10% of my normal sales. And I've had to basically lay off my entire staff except for one. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, these are my, you know, our, our FNG, that's the uh, uh, freaking new person. Um <laughs> Is, has been here for three years. I mean, so I still have two employees left that have been here since the day we opened. 
and I probably have six employees that have been here more than 20 years. Wow. And that's out of like nine or 10 employees. And these people are my family. Yeah. And, uh, and plus I have to work with my family and I try not to talk about that, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, you know, I, I hate to say, you know, to walk around with my hand, my hand out on this stuff because it's just not my nature, but I, I don't, you know, what, what else can we do at this point? Yeah. We can't borrow you know, anymore. We, yeah. Oh God. No. We, we just can't. I mean, I, I could borrow more money tomorrow. I've, you know, I've, I've still got the means to do that, but, it, but it would be, it would be crazy for me to do that. I mean, I would be, you know, guaranteeing, not guaranteeing, but it would be ensuring my lack of survival later on. So to me, the best thing would be that I, I want to see the government help take care of the employees while they're at home. I think we're going to see a brain drain in the beer community, especially competent bartenders and beer servers, mm -hmm. because I, I mean, I've lost probably three or four staff that I had to lay off. They've now completely left the industry uh, because yeah because they, and they're fortunate to have other skill sets where they can do that. But um, so we need to support workers. It, it still amazes me that we haven't done something to support businesses who are supporting their workers beyond the PPP. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, some sort of tax credit or something for providing health insurance. Uh, it's something that would, that would, that would, that would help, a good employer take care of their good employees. And other than the PPP, that's, that's, that, that really is it. And of course that was brief and then didn't, didn't last long enough. Yeah. Uh, Michael, any insight? Okay. Yep. Uh, I, 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 I feel, oh, hang on a second. Michael, is that you? Yes, it is. Uh, my, my internet went dead. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Here we were having a, a great conversation, and I, uh, I, I threw a question to you, just sort of asking about, um, you know, if, if in the stimulus uh, world right now, and, and we're talking about uh, some, some stimulus coming out to, you know, everyday Americans and, and, and trying to keep things afloat, um, is there anything that can that could help at this point? Well, um, you know, it's been mostly my full-time job these days, like trying to, besides like renegotiating our mortgage and renegotiating our construction loan and talking to all my, you know, vendors and everything about, you know, suspending or lowering my monthly payments. But, but I have, you know, been applying for every single thing that, that the government has been, you know, throwing our way it's not enough. Um, the number one thing that the government could do to help us really is to, um, they, we need, we need relief from our, uh, fixed costs. And if you're a renter, you, you need to be able to suspend your rent payments. And obviously the landlord can't, can't not get money either. So maybe you offer you know, like make every mortgage in the country and every business loan in the country pretend that 2020 doesn't exist 
and you take that 21 year, 20 more, 20 year mortgage, you make it a 21 year mortgage and you just add a year with a gap year of payments because, you know, that would be so helpful to all of us small businesses who can't pay our debt service. You know, I mean, we just can't when we're not taking in any money. And that way, by making, by adding a year to every mortgage and every uh, loan, uh, the bank gets all their money. They just have to wait another year for it. And we get to stay in business and they get to keep a customer. And this is something that would have, the banks aren't going to do this on their own. The, the Fed has to tell them this is what you have to do. Really quick uh, to go around the table because I'm mindful of everybody's time at this point. Um, what does the future of the bar industry look like in America uh, after a vaccine, after after all of this? And let's start uh, in the, the furthest away time zone and then work our way west. Um, <laughs> Polly, what does is, what is the future of America's bars look like? You know, I don't know. And I think that that's that's part of what is so disturbing. And you talked about mental bandwidth earlier about, yeah. about not being able to figure that out. I've, one thing I've always been very good at is trends and saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. And this is the way the industry is moving. And do I like that? Do I want to do something different? How do I, you know, how do I bring us forward in that environment? Um, I, I don't know what the bar scene looks like. I, I am, deeply concerned that it is not going to exist in the way that we, I mean, I think certain places will still exist. I think Michael, I think Chris, I think I will still exist, but I think we're going to lose the bar scene in general in the United States uh, because a lot of these people are just not going to be able, they're not going to have the, the, the staying power in the bank accounts to, to, to continue to operate and we're going to lose staff as well. Um, I think that trend was already on the march in the sense that we have, you know, the local bar and drink at the local breweries. So the bars that that did a lot of business with draft beer, I think we're sort of fighting for business anyway. And that's going to continue. And I think it's going to be compounded by the fact that uh, bars, it's going to be a while before we're a safe atmosphere in the way that that we used to be. Michael, what about you? Uh, I, I agree that I don't really know either. Um, you know, I've been in the business, like I said, since the early seventies and I always felt that I, you know, that there were certain things that were certain about our business and that's all up in the air now. Um, we have no idea. Um, and that's very frustrating. Um, I also feel that, um, habits, have changed. Uh, this, you know, we had customers that this was part of their daily life. They got off the train and between the, the L stop and their house was hot leaf. Well, what if they don't have to go into the office anymore? Uh, what, you know, that, that's going to change their, their daily habits. We also, you know, we've seen an absolute collapse of storefront retail and, people used to stop in for a beer and a sandwich um, after they went shopping or the people who worked at the shoe store down the street, they would come in on their lunch break or after work. 
Well, when the shoe store closes, when all the stores are closing, uh, habits are changing. And we were part of those habits. So I'm very, very concerned that um, we're not going to be part of people's daily habits anymore. And some of these trends were already, um, you know, affecting us, but everything's been, you know, like speeded up. And so I, I, I have a feeling we'll still be around, but, and, and I'm not saying that every change is negative. There's going to be some positive changes that we, we will see because of this, but there's also going to be some very big negatives. Chris. Yeah. It's uh, the, the habit thing is also just a, a huge. We saw a really great example of that uh, a couple of years ago. We had a construction project in front of us for a year, actually 54 weeks, and it devastated our lunch business. And I'm not looking at, you know, it took us 20 years to develop a decent lunch crowd, a fairly consistent one, and it was. We got rid of it, uh, half of it, within three months. And, uh, you know, the other thing is that's changing uh, is office utilization right now. Uh, offices are looking at not coming back, you know, with full staffs, uh, maybe ever. Who knows? Uh, we, don't, we don't know what that looks like in the future. We were surrounded by quite a few offices, and that brought us in, you know, some lunch business and some happy hour business and and things like that. And um, I don't know what that looks like uh, next year. I was just talking with the largest office in our area. It's two doors down the street. They normally have about 250 people there on a daily basis. And right now there's 12. Uh, And they're, they're not expecting... Uh, right now, they're not expecting to have people coming into the office more than once a week, if that, until the end of April right now. And even after that, and for about a year afterwards right now, their plan is that uh, in the future, you'll only come in uh, one day a week, and they'll kind of rotate through that. Uh, and that's mainly to pick up some of the mail and deal, you because know, they're a... Uh, a company that does uh, a public-private kind of company that does uh, mortgages for uh, middle and lower-income people, and and they're, you know, that's that's fifty to a hundred lunches a week yeah. for us, and you know, and and there is there's no offices going to be in our neighborhood anymore, and that's it's really it's a very different landscape, which is you know. As, as a differentiating it from what's been going on in the last decade, which is uh, in most places doubling the number of liquor licenses. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Michael's experienced that. Uh, I know we definitely have here. And, uh, you know, we've been very fortunate here in, in Colorado and, and especially Denver. Uh, we've been one of the fastest growing major markets in the United States for the last decade. And, but we've only added like 30% of people. And, and Chicago's actually lost people uh, yeah. with that same thing happening. Uh, it's, you know, things are shifting around a lot. And then, you know, when you, you know, pull in the competition from uh, the tap rooms that has, you know, where the tap rooms have just become bars instead yeah, of get into that, tasting yeah. rooms. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, uh, it's 
there's a lot of pressure on businesses like like all of ours here. Uh, that's that, you know it's something I've been talking with a lot of you know, some of the other people uh, around the country about, and it's it's really challenging. Chris, do you see a lot of um, do you have business from uh, like conventions and things like that? Business travel, the baseball bit. stadium down the street, yeah. Yeah, the baseball was a devastating loss for us. Uh, you know, not trying to say they should have had uh, crowds in the baseball uh, stadium, but uh, that was a huge loss because that's you know, a what's that, eighty-one games and and uh, times uh, people coming here on the way to the baseball game because we're half a block from home plate, and and even uh, on top of. On top of that, the people that work at the stadium, who work for the Rockies organization, who um, have to go eat lunch, you know, every day. And we would get quite a few people from that. And, you know, just that whole ecosystem is really was really challenged this year. I think we're going to see like we we definitely do a lot of business from, uh, you know, Chicago is a big convention city. And if there's. 50,000 radiologists in town or 50,000 veterinarians at McCormick place, even though we're not that close to them, we will see a hundred of those people come in for a beer at hot plate. And I don't think the convention business is ever coming back. I just think that's gone. Yeah. It's a huge issue. It's going to be challenging. Yeah. You, yeah. Polly, you are there in New Orleans. You have a huge convention center. Yeah. So, so we have 300, and our population in Orleans Parish or city of New Orleans is 391,000 people. And our 2019 uh, visitor count was 18 million. 18 million people visited New Orleans in 2019. There's yeah. no way that 391,000 people, as loyal as they may be and as well-intentioned as they may be, can replace 18 million. And I don't see a lot of that tourism coming back anytime soon. No. Uh, I feel like we should end on a positive question, but in keeping with 2020, (laughs) I I think I'm going to leave it here. Uh, Except to say that each of you, all of your places are national treasures. Um, I've enjoyed spending my money there uh, at all of your bars and I look forward to doing it again. And on behalf of all of the drinkers who care about beer, Thank you for everything. Thanks for all that you've done and the, the, the fight that you're continuing to wage. And I hope that 2021 is going to bring you some calm, some peace of mind, some good health and success again. Chris Black of the Falling Rock Tap House, Michael Roper of Hop Leaf in Chicago, and Polly Watts of the Avenue Pub in New Orleans. Thanks for being here, um, even though clearly you didn't need me for this conversation. Um, I hope I can get you all three together again for uh, for another recording and uh Thanks for closing out the year on the show. That's Polly Watts of the Avenue Pub, Chris Black of the Falling Rock Tap House, and Michael Roper of Hopleaf. My thanks to them for taking the time and for all of you out there listening. I hope you'll remember to support your favorite local pub, no matter where it is. And a hearty thanks again for listening to this show. It's great fun to do this every week, and I have some fun plans for the show in the new year, and I hope you'll continue to tune in, engage on social media, and send your thoughts via email, and to let other beer enthusiasts know about what we're doing in this corner of the podcast universe. You can always reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, 
at BeerEdge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And please follow The Beer Edge on all of the social media channels at The Beer Edge. Andy Crouch is hosting The Beer Edge podcast, and you can find episodes of that at BeerEdge.com. Steal This Beer is on every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. You can find those where you get your podcasts. And on Facebook, you can find us talking about smoky lagers and ales on the This Week in Rausch Beer page. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again in the new year to drink beer and to think beer. Thanks for listening.